You're listening to In the Studio with Michael Card. The session is made possible by our friends with the Christian Standard Bible. Learn about this new translation and the many ways you can enjoy the CSB. Explore online when you visit csbible.com. This is In the Studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for listening. And Michael, we have such a wonderful audience of growing partners who listen each week to the podcast. And I'm encouraged that so many people listen to the entire hour. That that speaks volumes to me. Yeah, that's encouraging, isn't it, that they would, uh, they would hang in there with us that long? Sure. Yeah. And I think it speaks to the content, the quality of the content, the guests that we have, and uh, your teaching of music, Michael. So I'm just very grateful for that. Um, we mm-hmm. have uh, listeners who contact us via email, of course, in the studio at michaelcard.com. Sometimes they come yep. to us through Facebook and other social media, though. Well, we have one here from Brian that uh, is pretty special. He says, uh, thank you so much for leading me to buy this CSB Bible. It's because oh. of your podcast that I'm getting fanatical about my walk with Jesus. God bless you. That's that's good to hear, isn't it? <laughs> it sure is. That's a good word. Another fanatical. fanatic. <laughs> yes, that's what like we that that's what we want. Yeah. That's what we All want. Right. Well, here's what's coming up today. In a moment, we're going to pick up the phone and talk with Dr. Bob Baki, our good friend, who's been yeah. so responsible for the National Day of Prayer over the years. Uh, he's a pastor in the Minneapolis area. We'll talk with Bob. He's been through quite a lot, and we'll get an update uh, from Bob here. And then coming yeah. up in the second half, remember last time we began your teaching series on the life of Jesus that was recorded at the Sandy Cove Bible Conference. Where, right. you, uh, yep. where you were the featured speaker recently. You want to say what's uh, in part two coming up? Well, we're just going to uh, start uh, start looking at details and what they mean. Uh, that's what I'm becoming fanatical about is uh, uh, knowing everything that I can possibly know about, about the life of Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's an exciting uh, idea, I think. Yeah. And it's good to know you're back out on the road, so to speak, teaching again and singing again. Um, I know people appreciate that. They've been asking for that, of course, during this uh, COVID era, but now it's beginning to open up again. So I'm grateful to see that. Yeah, it's good. It is good to be back out again. And and, uh, especially at Sandy Cove, the folks there are just so sweet. Uh, I've been going there for a long time. It's a great place. Good. Well, and thanks to them for recording what you did there so that we get the benefit of hearing it today here later in the studio with Michael Card. All right, well, let's open with your song, On Christ the Solid Rock, and then we'll talk with our first guest here today in the studio. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. Thank you, Michael. One of the guests who's been with us often through the years, both in person, online, and today on the telephone is Dr. Bob Bakke 
from Hillside Church in Minneapolis. And uh, we've worked with Bob on the National Day of Prayer for a long time. And it's good to have Bob back with us, Michael. Yep. Yeah, welcome, Bob. Yeah, great to be with you guys. You're old friends and so glad to be a part of this. Well, you know what? Uh, friends pray for each other. And we've been praying for you, Bob, because I know from uh, your daughter's posting on Facebook, you've really been through a health crisis. Yeah, it's, it's been an odd year for me. Uh, I've never spent any time in a hospital bed whatsoever. I have stitches, of course. Any young boy would probably have a stitch or two. <laughs> but um, but I've never spent any time in the hospital. And so uh, a couple of weeks ago, it, it just uh, a health crisis came to me in a way that I did not expect. And, and it laid me up pretty low and endangered me. So it was a surprise. There was a complication. It was a it was a heart procedure, right? Which is always serious in and of itself. And, you know, I've been through that as well, but it was a heart procedure. Then what happened? Many of your listeners will, will know about stents. These, these uh, uh, little mesh kinds of tubes that they now put in, in hearts. And, and many people have had them. And I didn't realize how many people have had them. And so they, they asked me to come in and, and have one put in. And then they asked me to come back and, and to do a, a follow-up procedure in another part of the heart that didn't show up initially. And so I went in, and they did this procedure, which is really an outpatient procedure right now. You come in at maybe late morning, and you get some general anesthesia, and you're out for a little bit. They, they do their work, and then two hours later, you're waking up, and an hour later, you're in your car riding home. Well, in this procedure, um, the... The, the surgeon put a catheter up the artery of my right arm, which is the shortest route to the heart. But in so doing, he perforated my artery in two places. And by the time that they discovered what had happened, my arm was, was suffering what is known as compartment syndrome, where it was bleeding internally with no place for the blood to go. And so my, my arm was actually dying. And mm. by the time that they, they got around to agreeing that this is what was happening, um, the uh, surgery had to be done right away. And then they had to open up my entire arm to relieve the, the pressure and the, uh, the danger that my arm was in. Now, this wasn't life-threatening, but it was life-altering, uh, to be sure, because uh, you know, I woke up the next day, or that actually that night, uh, not knowing whether I was going to be able to keep my arm or not. Wow. And so the, you know, just think of it. And, uh, you know, your most important appendage, I'm right-handed. And I write, and I, I, I author sermons, and, and write books and articles. And so I was wondering what, what this would become, you know, what, what would become of me, you know, going forward. So it was all a surprise, and four surgeries later, over the course of about five days, uh, my arm was able to be closed up once again, and I'm now in the healing process. But it was all mm. quite alarming, to be sure. Uh, not as serious as many people face today, but it was something I would never have expected to, to face. What was the process like in, in for you in, sure. in trying to understand... Uh, you know, asking the questions, why me? Right. You know, did you suffer with that? Or are you such a faithful man that those kind of questions don't arise in your mind? Well, uh, of course they they do. But they are also fairly useless questions at, at certain moments. Why me wouldn't help me any. Yeah. It wasn't going to solve the issue of my arm. So... I held that out. I didn't know what it was for, and I still don't. Well, I'm still just trying to piece it together. And, of course, in the first um, oh, four or five days, I didn't have much to think about at all because I was in and out of, of anesthesia so much and recovering wow. from surgery after surgery. But I did. The, the one moment of clarity I had uh, shortly after my my uh, second surgery, I was, I had my Bible app open and uh, I was 
doing my morning devotions as best I could. And of course, my I have a chronological Bible in my app, and I opened it up, and it was to Psalm Psalm ninety one, mm. which is one of the most precious psalms in all of the scriptures mm. about dwelling under the you know the shelter of the Most High and abiding in the shadow of the Almighty, knowing that God is my refuge, my fortress, and in whom I trust. And I tell you, I didn't have another morning devotion that week other than that psalm. Mm. I just parked Mm. there in my own soul, and I just uh, laid there uh, recovering, dwelling over and over again and reminding myself over and over again, not only of the personal nature of God's God's rescue, but also of His miraculous work, too. And if I Mm. I might, just one other thing. My my church, I'm a pastor, and, and this is where being a pastor is just, I'm just being a part of the church. It's just so glorious, isn't it? But it's where they came to, came up and, and they, they rallied around this and interceded for me and spread the word of prayer throughout the, the country to pray for me. But I just felt that the church itself was, was the appendage of God. What, what were the pinions of the almighty that, that it was his grace through his body of believers that was sheltering me at that time and upholding me. And so I, I praise God for the body of Christ, and I'm sure you have many stories as well, all of us do, about how the church can come to our rescue. But that was one of the things I camped on throughout that first week. That's really rich. Bob, one of the things that's uh, meant a lot to me from the book of Job is that after all of his suffering— and all of his questions, uh, when God shows up, he doesn't answer Job's questions. His answer is his presence. He doesn't He doesn't That's explain right. to him why those things happen, but was that your experience as well? Just the presence is, is, is the answer. It, it is. I, I didn't have to suffer as Job did, of course. Uh, <laughs> of course, I don't, I don't know what I would be doing if, if I had to suffer like Job did, but that is the lesson of, of the book of Job, isn't it? It is all the questions are answered in simply the, the manifest presence of God. Mm-hmm. And, and I think Psalm 91 speaks to that, too, that uh, I don't have an answer uh, why the pestilence, the, the psalmist says, I don't have an answer for the pestilence. I don't have an answer for... For the uh, the lion and the, the fowler, you know, the people who are after me, I, I'm their prey. But my answer is found in the shelter of God. Mm. That uh, it's under Him, you know, it's uh, His faithfulness becomes the shield and the buckler for me. And so, I, again, it was probably more the medication than anything that I didn't wrestle with those mm. those uh, why me questions or those. Um, existential, you know, crises, yeah. you know. I, I think it's but, more likely it speaks to your faith, Bob. I really do. Well, um, You know, going through something like what you've been through makes us so aware of the suffering of others. And of course, you didn't have to go through this to be aware of that suffering. You've been in tune with that for a long time. But even now, um, at the time of this conversation, you've been talking with our friend Robbie Gallaty about what he and his uh, friends are going through right now. Yeah, in fact, just this morning. So, you know, you might have a few moments of self-pity and, you know, you have to lie in bed and and wait for my, you know, my doctor's appointment next Tuesday or whatever. And, you know, I can't write and I can't do this, I can't do that. But then you open up uh, uh, these these text messages and and here's this guy, Robbie Gallaty, who has seen thousand, you know, over a thousand baptisms in the last few months. I think twelve, thirteen hundred. He has seen the movement of God's Spirit. He has seen that manifest presence of God in ways that few of us have, really, in the course of our ministry days. And yet, this morning, his heart is so broken um, because a, one of his dear collaborators and compatriots is dying in front of his eyes. He, he went out to get the mail and collapsed at the at the mailbox, and there was no oxygen, and the brain is the brain is essentially dead. And this young young mother, young young mother, young children having to say goodbye to their father, 
and the staff then, uh, another staff member being found at the bottom of a pool, unresponsive, and having been having been to be dragged out and rescued, and and there's and the staff then seeing a marvelous work of God's spirit among the youth, and yet now thirty of his staff are suffering with COVID, and many of them are very sick, and it just seems like on and on these these things are compounded, where one just has to think that well, with the manifest presence of God and the blessing of God, there is also the the attack of the enemy. And the testing of the Lord as well. So, uh, yes, I'm suffering, and yes, I'm I'm facing things I've never done done or seen before. But there are other people simultaneously, as, as I speak, who are suffering more grievously, and uh, and more profoundly. Well, I've got a question. Uh, in 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 what way? Cause I, I believe that Jesus enters redemptively into our sufferings. In 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 your experience, in your experience uh, with this this last horrible uh, trauma, have you experienced the presence of Jesus in a new way, or do you understand Him in, uh, differently than you did before? Of course, I understand Him differently. I, I've never I've never faced anything like this before. But one of the things I used to pray, and you know, you know, for for forty years, I've been in and out of hospitals and among the, the living and, and the dying in these hospitals, I, I have often prayed that the one I'm praying for would, would realize that they are resting in the palm of mm. Jesus' hand, that regardless of what they are facing, not so much a hospital bed or the care of doctors, but they rest in the palm of Jesus' hand. These are believers. These are people who know Jesus and mm-hmm. are suffering. And I have to say that I have experienced that that prayer for myself in a way that I have not known before. That as I rested in the hospital bed, in as much pain as I was, uh, I had to see myself uh, in the palm of Jesus' hand and find safety there and find comfort there and find rest in there, uh, whether whether the outcome was what I was praying and hoping for, or whether it was uh, just the opposite. So in that sense, Michael, I, I found Christ to be all that I have prayed for for others, and that was that was sweet. To well, my was soul. the pain of that experience worth it? Well, um, <laughs> sure, better be. <laughs> You certainly don't want to. You certainly don't want to go through stuff and and, and come out the other end and say, "Well, yeah. that wasn't worth anything." <laughs> um, no, I, I think it is worth it. I think the, the other thing too, I have to say, is that I have never been in a situation where I have needed in 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 the way that I have needed the help of others and the intercessions mm. of others. And my my small group. I'm in a small group, just like everyone else in my church is. It's a it's a value for us as a body of believers. But to know that my small group was here, they were doing my lawn, they were weeding my garden mm. that I couldn't do. They were preparing my house for me to come home from the hospital. They were they were bringing offering meals to my wife. They were interceding. Um, you know, my staff rearrange their job descriptions to completely cover my position and I, I I was at the I, I was at the mercy of my staff and yet uh I was all, I was mm. blessed by them and and by the body of Christ as well so in that way it has been so sweet uh to see it and to know that regardless of my pride or regardless of my I, my my self um, sufficiency uh, that I have always known for all these years, uh, I I had to surrender to them. I had to to humble myself and let them let them help me. And so that mm. was a beautiful thing to me. And I I am often moved by just the thought of it. Bob, you never disappoint us. Uh, you always bring such rich insight into our Lord to us here. So thank you. And 
This lesson of dependence uh, on the Lord and on others is very important for us to hear. Uh, Michael, you've often said that Jesus enters into our suffering. Um, He's an intimate Lord, isn't he? And I I think you've captured it well in the song we're going to hear now, My Shepherd. John Ketchings plays with you here on the cello. But uh, Bob, thank you. God bless you. We'll continue to pray for you. Well, thank you, my friends. Yeah, I want to I want to dedicate that to to Bob Baki mm-hmm. and uh, for a person who's discovered firsthand how God's goodness and mercy follows him all the days of his life, right, even though he right. went through such a hard hard experience. So that that's for you, Bob. Yeah, that's 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 well done. And that image of Jesus yeah. as shepherd, combined with the image yeah. there in Psalm ninety one that Bob shared with us, you know, under the wings of the Almighty, His protection and care. Yeah. That's Really nice, and I think it really helps when we understand ourselves as sheep. You know, not only see the shepherd, but we're the sheep, and uh, sheep are pretty helpless without the shepherd. We need his direction and his protection, and uh, Jesus reminds us that he he'll lay down his life for the sheep. Hmm. So, uh, in every in every imaginable way, he's the good shepherd. All good. We're going to take yeah. a break in a moment, but you know that teaching from Sandy Cove is coming up next here in the studio which means you're back out teaching and singing again. Uh, you've got other bookings mm-hmm. coming up. Is it fair to say that you're doing as yeah. much teaching as singing these days? Uh, what's the balance? 
Well, I'm, I'm doing a lot less of everything. I think there's that um, natural curve that happens, you know, as you get older and that sort of thing, you stop putting records out. And, um, and I think that's, that's a good thing. Uh, at least it is for me. But you're not so, stopping writing music, are you? Uh, yeah, I really, I really am. Are you? Uh, I'm, I'm just pretty much focusing on, on books and teaching. And, uh, if, if someone wants a concert, of course, I'm more than, more than happy to hop in the car or, you know, jump on a plane and come and play for them. I've got a couple of things coming up in Michigan here in the fall. Okay. Um, and, uh, but, but I, I really do think, uh, I think I may be done. Wayne well, writing music, unless I, I the Lord gives a song. I don't think I'm ready he, to hear that. I, I think the Lord is going to continue to use you to write some music, so I'm going to listen for that in, in the days ahead well, here. As the Spirit moves, a, as they say. Yes, if he gives a song, I will I will listen and write it down, but I, I think 450 songs is enough. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, I that's a lot of songs. I didn't realize it was quite that many, but... Why not yeah. 451 or two or three? I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see how the well, Lord leads. I will, I will, uh, you know, I will be open to anything he wants to do because he is my shepherd and I will be his, uh, I will be his sheep and write, write the song down any, any way he gives it to me. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. But we need to pause as we head into the halfway break. This edition is part of an extensive collection of classic and current editions for you to explore on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We hope you share the link with your friends on social media so they can experience what you've found. And if what you're hearing in today's session has prompted you to want to learn more, look online for resources from Michael that can help. Michael's latest book, titled The Nazarene, and other books, music and news about upcoming concerts and conferences, all at michaelcard.com. We're always glad to hear from our listeners. Post a comment on the Michael Card Music Facebook page. Or send your comments, questions, and song requests via email to in the studio at michaelcard.com. Coming up, more music and conversation and Michael's closing perspective waiting for you after this message in the studio with Michael Card. Here's Michael on the Holman Handcrafted Bible Collection. I'm happy we're partnering with CSB to get the word out about this current translation. And now we're excited about a special handcraft edition from Holman that utilizes 200 years of Bible publishing craftsmanship. See for yourself how this special collection binds together a current translation and helpful study tools in a beautiful cover that will last a lifetime. Search for Holman Handcrafted Bible Collection and when you order and apply your 30% discount on the CSB purchase through LifeWay, type in the studio as one word in the promotion code for your 30% discount with LifeWay. So make an investment in Bible reading and study for yourself or as a legacy gift for someone special. The Holman Handcrafted Bible Collection. Years of experience crafting high quality natural leather covers built to endure years of faithful reading. Search for Holman Handcrafted Bible Collection now at csbible.com. Let's learn about Jesus now here in the studio with Michael Card. We began the series last week from Sandy Cove. A little review of what we covered last week, Michael. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked about his world and how how fragmented uh, every aspect of his world is. I mean, his religious world is is fragmented between temple and synagogue and priests and Pharisees and his physical world is fragmented between Galilee and Judea. Galilee and Judea, very different places. Mm. Um, and and Jesus really sort of looked down upon because he is from Galilee. He speaks with a, a recognizable accent that makes him sound uneducated, and he's looked down upon by the, the Judean Jews. So let's get into part two of this teaching now, once again from Sandy Cove, where Michael spoke recently. But let's talk about Galilee and Jesus' ministry, the details of Galilee and what they mean. Okay, for me, Galilee is a place of refuge, right? Joseph, Jesus' dad, thinks of it as a safe place to get away. What's dangerous? Judea is dangerous. See, so Joseph goes to Galilee. That's Matthew 2.22. He chooses it as a safe place over Judea. 
uh, 7.1, Jesus chooses to stay in Galilee because the Jewish leaders, and there we may say the Judean leaders, were waiting to take his life. That's John 7.1. Matthew 4.21, when Jesus hears that John has been arrested, where does he go? He goes to Galilee. So in one sense, Galilee is sort of this place uh, of refuge. Uh, Jesus' ministry begins in, in Galilee, obviously. And what I'd like to point out is his, his initial ministry is solo. He's teaching in synagogues, right? What does that mean? Well, that means he doesn't need the disciples. Does he need them? Does he need us? No, he invites us. He invites the disciples to be a part of what he's doing. It's an incredible privilege to be a part of what he's doing. He doesn't need us. Come on. He... he, he uh, created the universe. So I'm, you know, I'm glad, I'm just glad to be on the team, you know. So his his ministry, but it begins solo in Galilee, Matthew 4.23 and Mark 1.39. And it's a synagogue ministry. He's he's teaching in the synagogue. Uh, Galilee is also a part of Jesus' identity, for better or for worse. Uh, He's known as the Galilean when he comes into Jerusalem. There is the prophet Jesus of Nazareth in Galilee. And in the argument they have in John 7, uh, aren't you from Galilee too? Or are you from Galilee too? Uh, when Nicodemus is standing up for Jesus, uh, being a Galilean, is, that's not a good thing. And that's part of his identity. So it's not cool necessarily that he's from Galilee. After the resurrection, I love this. What's the first thing Jesus says to his disciples through the angel in the tomb? He says, tell the disciples I'll meet him back in Galilee. They go back. And it's... I don't know. What does that mean? What does that detail mean? What I think it means is it's the place where you start over again. You know, and so in John 21, what do we see? They're back to fishing, right? Because that's what they know. And what happens? Another miraculous catch of fish. It happens again. Luke 5 is the first one. John 21 is the second one. So Galilee is a place that you, you begin again. The angel in the, from the tomb says, he's going before you to Galilee, Matthew 28, 7. Mark 16, 7, Jesus says to Mary, tell my brothers to go to Galilee, Matthew 28, 10. So there's Galilee. It's a, it's a safe place. It's a refuge place. And if you go there, it also just happens to be beautiful. It's a beautiful place. Uh, the major flyway between Africa and Asia goes right over the Sea of Galilee. And what, th- what that means is there are birds everywhere flocks of pelicans. They look like B-52 bombers. They're huge. All kinds of gorgeous kingfishers that are iridescent. And there's a little bird. I know it was Jesus' favorite bird. It had to have been his favorite bird. It's called a wagtail. You ever heard of a wagtail? It's a little kind of a sparrow-looking bird, not quite as big as a robin. And when it, whenever it's standing, its tail does this. And when you see it, you go, oh, that must be a wagtail. They're just this humorous, charming little birds, okay? So that's, that's Galilee. So now let's talk about Judea. So you got Galilee in your head. It's a beautiful place. The sea is there. It's actually wealthier because there's so many big farms there. Um, so let's talk about Judea. Because the temple is there in Jerusalem, the Judeans see themselves as more observant than Galileans. They look down their nose on Galileans. Jesus would have been perceived as kind of a hick. We're going to talk about his accent in a minute. He has a funny accent that makes him sound uneducated, sort of like yours truly. Uh, in, like I said before, investigative groups of scribes and Pharisees are sent from Judea to check out Jesus' ministry in seven, Mark 7.1. 7, so Judea is checking out Galilee to make sure you know, everything's, uh, everything's all right. Racially, um, Galilee is more mixed than Judea. So Judean is seen more like the, we are pure bloods, right? We are pure Jewish people. In Galilee, we've got these people. When the Assyrians conquered it, they settled other people there. And there was a lot of uh, mixture you know, of, of races and cultures. And uh, that's what, that wasn't cool. Geographically, Ju- Judea is desert. I, I have a picture. I wish I could show you a long shot of... Jerusalem. You're used to seeing close-up pictures of Jerusalem, right? You take a long shot of Jerusalem. It's in the middle of a desert. 
And it's, y'all, it's the moon. It's the moon. If you go there in the wrong time of year and stay there very long, you will die. You will die. I was, I was in the desert one time, Judean wilderness, with uh, a, a guy who'd been in the military. Of course, everybody's been in the military. Uh, and there was a bush about this big, and there's a shadow on the ground that was about this big. And this guy told me, he said, you see that shadow? That shadow can save your life. If you're ever caught out here, you put your head in that shadow. And that shadow can say, he was really serious. Of course, I completely freaked out. So Judea is desert. Galilee is beautiful. Birds flying, you know, this, the lake, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, politically, at least in Jesus' day, they're under two separate administrations. Uh, Judea is ruled by a Roman prefect. We all know that, right? Uh, and and uh, Galilee is still sort of quasi-Jewish. You have a tetrarch you know, who's kind of Jewish, but not really, but that's a whole other story. Economically, um, Galilee is richer, and the Judeans don't like that. Um, linguistically, now let's talk about that. Linguistically, let's talk about that. Now, that's, that sounds boring. This is not boring. This is really cool. This is really cool. Jesus speaks with an accent. Let me read to you a passage from the Talmud the Talmud is a commentary on the Mishnah. The Mishnah is the collected sayings of the rabbis from 200 B.C. to 280. The Mishnah is the oral law, basically. If you want to understand what the Pharisees are all about, go buy yourself a copy of the Mishnah. It's about 50 bucks. You can probably download it for free on the Internet. And it is mind-numbing. It is mind-numbing. Okay. But the, that's one volume. The commentary on the, on the Mishnah is the Talmud. That's like 36 volumes, just the commentary. And this is what the, the writers of the Talmud think about Galileans and how funny they talk, okay? You stupid Galileans. Do you want something to ride on? That's hamar in, in Hebrew, hamar. Do you want something to ride on or something to drink? Hamar. So Hamar or Hamar. See, when a Galilean says it, he doesn't do the ch. So it sounds like the same thing. So the rabbinic rabbis are saying, oh, what are you, stupid Galilean? Do you want something to drink or do you want a donkey? Or do you want, um, yeah, Hamar is wine. Or some clothing, Amar. Or something for a sacrifice, Imar. So those four words really sound alike. And the point is, the way Jesus talks, you can't tell which of those words he means if you're a snobby Judean Jew. Of course, we're Galilean Jews, aren't we? We're Galileans. Yay, Galilee. Um, yeah, I, my note says, what does it mean? It means that Jesus and the Twelve would have sounded simple and, un and uneducated to Judean Jews. And also that... When he taught in Galilee, the people loved to hear him as one of their own. He talks like us, you know. He drops his H's. Okay, let's talk quickly about the people. Uh, there are 40 people of name in Jesus' life. I looked it up. You're welcome. You want to hear them? You want to hear their names? John the Baptist, Simon Peter, Andrew, Thomas, James, John, Mary of Magdala, Joanna, Susanna, Matthew, Philip, Bartholomew, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, James, Joseph, Simon, Judas, his brothers, Herod Antipas, Moses, Elijah. Moses and Elijah, right? He, he talks to them. He talks to Moses about his exodus, about Jesus' exodus. How cool is that? Simon the leper, Simon the Pharisee, everyone's named Simon, Barabbas, uh, Bartimaeus, Zacchaeus, Pilate, Mary, wife of Cleopas, Salome, Joseph of Arimathea, Cleopas, Nathaniel, Malchus, Annas, Caiaphas, and Nicodemus. Those are all the people of name in, in Jesus' life, okay? There are um, 35, and I won't read this, there are 35 unnamed people, but they're characters, you know, the, the leper or the Roman official or the widow from Nain. We don't know their names, but there are 35 more, uh, uh, and a lot of the, the unnamed people are actually, are actually women. So what I want to do now, because we're going to look at the people in his life, I want to look quickly at a couple of passages where Jesus interacts with the people in his life. So we've got his world, fragmented, 
dangerous. We've got the places in his world, Judea, uh, Galilee, Judea, and now we're going to look at some of the people. Do you like this structure? Thank you. Yeah, I'm writing a book and that's the structure. Okay, I hope you, li- hope you like it. Let's look at uh, the, the only window we have into his relationship with his mother. This is the only precious window we have, and it's John 2, the changing of water into wine. And I want us to listen to the details of this passage, okay? So uh, this, is, this is NIV. On the third day, which is Tuesday, everyone gets married. To this day in Israel, you get married on Tuesday. That's the day everybody gets married, okay? On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Uh, Jesus, I, I think it's probably Nathaniel's wedding because Jesus has just met Nathaniel. A lot of people say, no, it's John, the writer of the gospel of John. It was his wedding. John's only 14 years old at this point, so probably not his wedding, okay? But I won't argue with about that. Never be dogmatic about what the Bible's not dogmatic about. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Now, a wedding in Judaism is a week-long celebration, If you don't have clothes, they'll give you clothes, right? It's a big deal. In a world where you're basically hungry all the time, right? You're basically a little bit hungry all the time in Jesus' world. A feast is pretty cool. To get full and eat as much as you want, that's pretty cool. And to do it for a week with a bunch of your friends, that's as cool as it gets. See, our weddings, we we have no idea what a wedding should be like. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now, stop. What does Mary do? She just tells him uh, what the problem is. She doesn't say, you know, you need to do something. You know, um, like my, my wife does this. She'll say, the grass is getting really long. There's a need, or the roof is leaking, or whatever. I, I'm not making fun. There, They've got this kind of relationship where Mary knows if she says, there's a need, he's going to do something. Okay, but listen, listen. Um, Why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. Now that sounds like a no to me. Does that sound like a no to you? Why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. Does that sound like a no to you guys? Okay, watch what Mary says. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. (laughs) What does that mean? That means she knows he's going to do something. Now, have you you ever seen that? I think this is fascinating. They've got this kind of intuitive relationship where all she has to do is say, you know, there's a problem. He goes, oh, don't involve me. You know, my time hasn't come yet. And what what he means is, if if I do a miracle, I'm going to get all this attention. And that's not what he wants right now. He wants to get his disciples together and begin discipling them and start teaching about the kingdom. That's what he's come to do. And miracles really work against Jesus in a lot of ways, right? They work against him in a lot of ways because he's so covered up. Was in one of the gospels says, Jesus Jesus says, have a boat ready so the people don't push me into the lake, right? The woman with the issue of blood, Jesus says, somebody touch me. Peter says, we mean everybody's touching you. Everyone's grabbing at him. Do they want to hear what he has to say? No. He just fed the 5,000. They want another free meal. And, and if you and I were there, we would be there too. If I had a sick child, I would be pushing through the crowd too so that he could heal my child, right? I would be trying to get him to fix my tinnitus. You know, it's kind of bu- bugging me, Jesus. Would you just lay your hand on me? And he would fix it. Sorry. Uh, another sidebar. So do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood uh, six stone water jars uh, used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. And I've seen these things. We have there there in the Israeli Museum, big stone. It looks like a planter. Just think of a planter. But it's stone because stone doesn't communicate uncleanness. If stone gets unclean, you can wash it and you can reuse it. If pottery gets unclean, you've got to break it. But stone's not that way. And one of the weird things, if you ever go to Israel, you'll see these big, uh, it looks like a coffee, coffee cup. It's a stone water cup. You know, 
But stone doesn't communicate uncleanness. If it gets unclean, I can wash it, and I don't have to break it. Okay, so, so uh, there's six of these things. Altogether, that's 180 gallons of wine. One of my bright Vanderbilt students said, that's 900 fifths. Apparently, fifth is some measure of alcohol. I don't know. I don't understand this stuff. I'm being facetious, of course. Uh, that's, that's 900 fifths. Okay, a fairly decent bottle of wine costs, what, $30? That's, that's $27,000 worth of wine. 180 gallons. Okay. Jesus said to the servants, fill the, 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 the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw it out and take it some to the master of the banquet. Did you miss it? The miracle happened. This is one of the unmiraculous miracles, Jesus. Jesus doesn't say... Watch this. Huh. Lightning bolts from his fingertips. <laughs> if you know Jesus, you know that's not how he does his miracles. I call them unmiraculous miracles. Now, they're great miracles. Go home, your daughter's well. Right? Stretch out your hand. It gets healed. Uh, if, you, if you understand this is his heart, this is how he does his thing. He's not drawing attention to himself. He's winning praise for, for God. And what happens, and again, these are details, and we've got to learn to listen to these details. When he'll do one of these miracles, what do people do? They praise God. One time they praise Jesus, and that's when he steal, stills the storm on the Sea of Galilee. The disciples worship him, and you would too, and so would I, right? He just saved your hide. You're about to go down. I'd be worshiping him too. Otherwise, he does a miracle and he wins praise for God. Somehow, I don't know if it's his countenance or what it is, he points away from himself when he does these miracles. That's part of who he is. Okay, so the first miracle, water into wine. Fill those up. Now take it over to him. Did you miss it? The miracle happened. And, and John will tell us only the servants knew a miracle even happened. Feeding the 5,000, if you read that, liberal scholars will say, will say there was no miracle because there's no miracle language. Feeding the 4,000 to the 5,000, there's no miracle language there. I mean, it's unpretentious. I mean, it's unmiraculous. It's a great miracle. I mean, raising somebody from the dead, that's not too shabby. But what I'm getting at, to understand the heart of Jesus, it's the way he does it. He doesn't draw attention to himself. He always points away from himself. And then he will do a miracle, usually a healing, and he'll say, please don't tell anybody I did that. Right? So that's part of what we've got to get. That's part of the details that we've got to get. Okay. Um, so they did so, and the master of the banquet, that's the guy who tells jokes and keeps the party going. Just, um, he tasted the water that had been turned into wine. Miracle happened. He did not realize where it had come through, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best for now. And let me close this story by saying, God always saves the best, not for last. He saves the best for now. Sunshines, hear the rain on the roof. If you must be convinced, you will never survive. One of the greatest miracles is just being alive. So 
simply trusted, believing the word that Jesus had spoken, that his heart had heard. Your son will live now, just leave and go home. And he stopped seeking signs from that very day on. The very fact that you're here, that you're loved and held dear. If you must see a miracle, then just look in the mirror. It's a studio recording from Michael Carr, Greatest Miracle. I remember the day they recorded that with Katie came to the studio. To yeah, that's that's my little girl playing the Bowron there. <laughs> Thank you, Katie. Um, well, Michael, looking back on this hour, uh, I'm I'm still thinking about Bob Bakke shared with us, of course. Boy, what what he's been through, yeah. what he's learned. Very valuable lesson for all of us. Yeah, and, and it's so encouraging to me that he he's coming through that uh, stronger with his faith stronger. Yeah, and um, that's why I, I specifically ask him, "Is it worth it?" Because I wanted to be able to hear him say, "Yeah, it was worth it." Yeah, that's uh, a great question. Yeah, yeah. And then the teaching that you uh, shared about Jesus today, of course, the unmiraculous miracles. Thank you for that, Michael. We have part three of that coming up in the future here on the podcast. Yeah, so listen for that in the near future. Yeah, interesting to me the way he does his miracles, with very few exceptions. I'm not saying they're not great miracles. I mean, raising somebody from the dead is not too shabby, but <laughs> but he he does them in such an unmiraculous way and never drawing attention to himself and always winning praise for the Father. I think that just tells us about his heart. We hope you'll take a moment and share your reactions to this hour. Post a comment on the Michael Card Music Facebook page. Write a review on Apple Podcasts or share the link to what you've discovered on your favorite social media platform. And you can always send your reactions and questions or song requests via email to inthestudio at michaelcard.com. We look forward to reading your comments. Learn about Michael's books, his music, live events, and our podcast guest details at michaelcard.com. We're glad for the partnership with our sponsors at the Christian Standard Bible. Visit csbible.com to learn more about this current translation. This month, we're featuring the Holman Handcrafted Bible Collection, See for yourself how Holman's years of experience crafting high-quality Bibles can provide you with a CSB edition that will last a lifetime. Make an investment in Bible reading and study for yourself, or perhaps as a legacy gift for someone special. Search for the Holman Handcrafted Bible Collection. And when you order, use the promotion code in the studio, typed with no spaces, to receive your 30% discount on CSB purchases through LifeWay the Christian Standard Bible at csbible.com. Now for all of us on the team, Ron Davis, Susan Sermon, Lance Mansfield, and our producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for joining us for this session in the studio with Michael Card.